Greetings. You're listening to the Bonnie Boat Sailing Podcast. My name is Chris Smith. Whether you're a grizzled old salt, pining for the days of wire rope halyards, or a greenhorn, wondering what the hell a dolphin striker is, this is the podcast that seeks to fill the need for everybody's third most favorite pastime. That is, talking about sailing. Hello, sailors. Today is Monday, April 1st, 2019, April Fool's Day. I racked my brain trying to come up with some silly shtick or gimmick for the occasion. I've got nothing much, but there is an Easter egg hidden in here somewhere. Nothing too exciting. Uh, today I have for you a chat I had with the crew of the Millennial Falcon. Kiara and Adam are sailing the Caribbean in their Tayana 42 of the Millennial Falcon, a.k.a. Millie. And they've had an interesting few years getting to where they are now. They've done a lot of work on the boat. They sailed from the west coast of Florida, island hopping down to Grenada in their first season. And I spoke with them while they were anchored in St. Martin. We talk about their boat buying process, some of the challenges they faced, and the lure of living on the water. They also have an excellent YouTube channel where they've been documenting their travels, and you can find that at Sailing Millennial Falcon on YouTube, and their website is sailingmillennialfalcon.com. So, without further prolegomenon on my part, I give you Adam and Chiara of the sailing vessel Millennial Falcon. Let's let's roll. Uh, so let's. I figured we'd start with uh, kind of the overview, uh, if you will. I guess uh, where are you guys now, and uh, and kind of what what are you up to sailing around? Uh, at the moment, we're in uh, we're in St. Martin in uh, the Caribbean, and um, about I guess uh, last year, in uh, maybe about a year or so now, we've owned the boat, and we've pretty much just headed from America, and we've sailed down through the Caribbean, immediately kind of trying to make our way um, below the hurricane belt in time for um, hurricane season of 2018. And right now we're heading further back up, visiting all the islands that we've kind of missed along the way. And right now we're in St. Martin. Cool, cool. That sounds like, uh, that sounds great. That sounds like the, uh, the, the place to be in, in March at any rate. It sounds nice. Yeah, we... yeah, it is really lovely here. It's a great place to get, um, get mail sent in and get parts. Um, it's just a very, very convenient modern island, um, but the downside is is perhaps it's a little bit lacking in uh, authenticity. But you know, you got to sacrifice that for convenience. You can't have everything. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. We're, uh, we just put in a new windlass, and we're taking the time to do a few um, cosmetic jobs that have been bugging us for a while that we need parts for and things. So it's it's, uh, it's a nice reprieve. Yeah. Finally got a windlass. We don't need to hold my hand anymore. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you guys are on a pretty sizable boat to be to be hauling the anchor by hand. So that sounds uh, that sounds like a, a good thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, uh, she's forty two feet, uh, Tayana forty two, and um, and yeah, when we lost the wind last maybe about uh, six months ago or so, and so we've just been doing it nonstop since then. And uh, yeah, we've we've had a few uh, you know blowy situations where we definitely would have preferred to have a wind lass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so finally have it now. <laughs> cool. Good. Um, and so I guess maybe we could start uh, at the beginning here. And I'm, I'm curious about the process you went through in buying your boat. Um, and it, it's from your YouTube videos, it seems like you really pounded the pavement during, uh, during your search. So what, what were you looking for? Um, 
what brought you to the States and, and, and why did you uh, decide on the Tayana 42? Um, it's, I, it's funny, actually, now you've, you've just said that. It's just occurred to me. We actually did more miles in the first month uh, looking for the boat than we have in the entire 12 months since. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we ended up tallying up about 8,000 miles uh, in rental cars over the course of uh, three weeks. Yeah, four weeks. Maybe, four yeah. weeks. Um, looking at about 10 different candidates and any other boat we could find in a close yeah. proximity to those candidates as we came across them yeah. we drove like we specifically went to 10 different candidates and then yeah. on the way we popped in at other places and saw more so we'd been looking um we'd been scouring uh, yacht world and talking to brokers for about oh six months prior to departing um and we we were actually really eyeing off a moody 40 um and it was that we, we very we actually i think we did make a tentative offer on the boat um subject to seeing it uh, and they didn't they didn't want to negotiate or they didn't want to discuss it really until we'd seen it. Um, and I'm glad they didn't really come to the table because uh, <laughs> having as soon as we saw it, we realized very quickly that it was just a very, very good listing. Um, and there were we some were, very good photos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, you know how they remove any reference, any scale reference in photos, and suddenly you're like, "Wow, it's so spacious!" Yeah. And then you get in there and you're on your hands and knees. <laughs> and there's your like widescreen photos, and you're like, "Wow, this is the biggest boat I've ever seen in these pictures." So that yeah, we were um, we thought we had it in the bag, and then we very quickly were back to the drawing board. Um, and then uh, interestingly, a lot of the ten candidates we had on the shortlist were uh, we couldn't get hold of the brokers. They just didn't. And this is not like this is. Uh, middle of January in the new year, sort of a reasonable time for people to be getting back to work. And nobody would take our calls. We just couldn't get a hold of people. Um, yep. To this day, we may very well have bought a view if I could have gotten hold of that broker in Charleston. It was priced the same as this one was, but the engine, I took one look in the engine room and just alarm bells went off in my head and we walked away. Um, and then we found this one and uh, and we both were very impressed the owners the owner was was in actual fact a broker and he was doing the brokerage for his own boat um which is a slippery, <laughs> a slippery slope but he yeah. seemed like a really well he was a nice guy uh we didn't get the impression that he was pulling the wool over our eyes too much um obviously there were a few furfies that were told in hindsight sorry that's australian for a joke for a, a few fibs a few lies that's good yeah um, good translation yeah <laughs> there were a few Dude, i haven't heard that one a few little white lies that might have been uh, been told here and there but that's kind of unavoidable um yeah. and they were the previous owners were very conscientious the boat had uh, been well looked after and uh, it had a stellar reputation um and and I, I also believed in the design and, and the configuration and it, it sort of ticked a lot of boxes for us. Mm. But it was funny because all the boats that we did go to see um, and we saw like a, a fair few boats too, um, they, they tended to be in a state of kind of like forgottenness really and they were there was like mold in the, um, in the saloons and everywhere around the boat and granted it was in the middle of winter um, but all of them... A lot of them, sorry, not all of them. A lot of them just seem to be um, not as great yeah. as we kind of thought that yeah. they were, or maybe that the pictures would have shown. So we were, when we finally came across this boat, which is our current boat, um, 
it actually looked like it was looked after and we're like wow this is amazing it was such a difference to all the other boats that we'd seen and you know we kind of walked in a little bit like rose tinted glasses and uh and i'm bad she's uh she's she's done as well yeah exactly she's really has done as well good good but yeah also, and well, I was going to say the reason why we uh, we chose to buy a boat in America rather than Australia. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, which is. <laughs> I should write really... this question down because I have a tendency to just go off. <laughs> no, that's good. Keep keep rolling. <laughs> As it does like going on tangents sometimes. Um, no, but uh, the reason why we chose to buy a boat in America rather than Australia was because um, the prices in Australia are slightly significantly higher than in America. Um, Exorbitantly uh, Yeah, I think there's a reason why um, a lot of Americans go sailing. There's a reason why, you know, Chesapeake's is so well known for its sailing that there are so many American sailors in the Caribbean. It's just because it's... it's... Well, it's, Australia has a good sailing culture, but it's a racing, it's a yeah. racing culture and it's a coastal cruising culture. Um, but to be honest with you, it's, it's well, from, from my experience, which I can only speak from, it's predominantly a racing culture, um, and the kind of boats that are for sale um, typically are not. Uh, well, sorry, let me rephrase. The market for blue water sort of voyaging vessels is a lot smaller, and the kind of boats you find there are tried and tested, um, and they've also been they've cost their owners a great deal to get and keep in Australia because of the import taxes, and so they're looking to recoup some of that. Um, when they sell them locally uh, and subsequently a small market and a huge amount of taxes results in just exorbitant prices. Um, yeah. It's also not a great place to start a cruise if you're a fairly green sailor. Um, yeah. It's, it, the only way is kind waters. of through, uh, through yeah. the Indian Ocean, really, if yeah. you want to go far. Yeah. Well, no, it's not yeah. the only way, sorry. So the, the, the market in, in the States and in Europe, uh, which is also where we looked, um, was is just – much larger and much cheaper, much better selection, um, and uh, and, a, and a better place to start a cruise if you're a little bit green around the ears. Yeah, no, I think I think that all makes sense. And I've I've spoken to people who um who move who who purposely set sail from the states to uh, Australia for the purpose of of selling boats because the market is so much so much stronger there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've uh, we've certainly heard about that, and even a few people suggested that we do that too. We were like, oh no no, we just want to buy this one to uh, to you know live on and cruise around. But yeah, that has definitely been um, been mentioned. That uh, yeah, it's well known. I think Australian Australia isn't the the best place to pick up a bargain on boats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned uh, some some racing uh, the racing sailing scene down in Australia. And I know you guys uh, did some racing prior to setting off on uh, in the in the cruising here. Uh, so, did you find that experience to be helpful? Yeah, well, I d I certainly did. Um, it's did actually, you know what, Kiara, Kiara is probably better place to answer that because she, uh, okay. she that was your induction of fire. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, like. Adam has been uh, has been racing boats since he was like 15 years old with his dad, so he knew a lot about sailing and a lot about racing, obviously. And when he kind of like threw the idea out to me that like, hey, let's, maybe let's we should just overstate it. <laughs> well, okay. but hey, let's not oversell it too much. <laughs> okay. Adam knew how to sail a boat. Yeah. <laughs> let's just yeah. let's just uh, say that. No, no. Um, but yeah, when when Adam suggested, you know, to me to, uh, hey, why don't we buy a boat and sail sail back to Australia, sail around the world? I was like, um, 
maybe, you know, let, let's try it. And so that's when I was like, okay, what can we do to get some practice at least? Um, and then we joined a racing club in, uh, in Melbourne. And, um, and that's kind of, I guess, where I really pretty much, I think that might have been the first time I ever actually got, went on a sailboat before. And it was a, what was the boat? Swarbrick 97. Nice Swarbrick 97. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I guess that's kind of where I realized the extent of my seasickness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like every week they, uh, every week on a Saturday, we would go out there and we'd race. And, um, and I, and I did it for three months before I, um, I had a finger injury and, um, kind of meant I couldn't do winches and things like that. Um, but every, every Saturday for three months, we'd go out there and we would, um, we would race and it would take up at least a day and it was fantastic. And I think after it all, both Adam and I were like, yeah, this is fantastic. When we kind of went on the downwind, um, the downwind runs and, um, you know, before the next, uh, before the next cut corner that we had to turn around in this race, we just kind of like have a chance to chill out. The spinnaker might be out. And we were both just like looking at each other, like, "Yeah, this is this is pretty cool. This is good." Cool. So, um, and then obviously you go back to the frantic racing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but racing yeah. is a great a great way to learn sailing. It's yes. it's kind of like living. It's kind of like living in Melbourne. We have a joke in Melbourne that you get four seasons in a, in a day, and like when you go racing sailing, you get you get ev almost every version of cruising in a day, depending on yeah. the, notwithstanding the weather. You, you know, you get a full sail, you get a full complement of sails, you get a sp multiple spinnaker hoists and drops, something will always break, something will happen, there's yep. traffic to deal with, there's crew to manage, there's yelling, there's shouting, there's, there's it's all, all that and kind of And then you also chaos. have to learn as well while you're there, which yeah. was my kind of, not issue, but I was just like, how am I meant to learn all of this at once? But I think it is a fantastic place for a learner to start, is to join a sailing club. And, uh, and it's just kind of like free experience, really. Um, and you should, def before buying a boat, just get on a boat, you know. Practice with someone else's boat before you get your own boat. And I I definitely, definitely think that um, that that experience just helped me so much. And they're incredibly eager to have people, too. Like, we, uh, I remember the day we decided to, uh, that we were going to join a, a racing club. And we put a, we just put a little listing on a message board uh, an online message board for the club and in in, this, in less than three days I had three emails back and the first email that I responded to was a, a very competitive um, boat, the, the one we ended up going with um, the Mighty Take 5 at, at <laughs> yes. a, the Royal Melbourne Yacht Club um, and <laughs> they yeah, they they were very keen, as soon as you say that you are, you know, you're a quick study and you know anything about sailing and you're prepared to show up every Saturday and and give it a red hot go um, most racing crews will be very happy to have you I don't know but whether also that's at the same time as well like America. having being a beginner as well they were perfectly happy to take me on oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah, like yeah. you don't even have to have prior sailing experience I think they were just like well if we can train you if we can mold you if we can teach you everything yeah. we know without you knowing anything then you will pretty much be the perfect test subject or the first it's perfect subject exactly it's yeah commitment that they value most of all yeah yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. It's, it's not something I have a, a lot of experience in, um, but it's certainly something oh, really? I have, have uh, interest in, to be sure. Um, my my our boat isn't isn't very racy, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> if any if there's ever two boats going the same direction, mate, we all know it's a race. <laughs> I know, I know, and I I, uh, I need to do some some work because I, I in, invariably lose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no. we do, we do too.
do too. Yes, so if you ever come across our boat, she's uh, twenty nine thousand pounds, and uh, there's a fair bit of weight to haul. So you might be in for a running this time. There's <laughs> very few days a year when we get to win, but it's always on the worst day. Yeah. So, yeah all the other boats cruise out of the anchorage on the lovely day, and then they just leave us in their dust. And there's maybe one day a month. When we get to smash through the, yeah. smash it's like through the seas, thirty knots of wind, yeah. and everyone's like, "Oh, I don't want to go sailing," and we're like, "Yes!" Millie's like, our boat is just like, "Yes, go, go, we love it." She really comes into her own at about twenty-five knots when everyone else is flying a handkerchief, and we've got, you know, two reefs and a and a staysail up, and she's just charging. That's that's the one day a month that we we're thankful yeah. for our purchase. Cool, cool. And so, and do you, how do you guys like the boat? I mean, so it sounds like she needs a fair amount of wind to sail, but I imagine she's fairly comfortable. Yeah, yeah, she's comfy. Oh, she's she's um, exceptionally comfortable. Yeah. She's doing. To be honest with you, we um we got a a poor represent. She 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 had a poor representation of herself, um, in the first well, really until we discovered the broken chain plates in Puerto Rico. And sort of replace them and retension the rigging and. That was and, about four months. Yeah, after we that was the four boat. months in. Um, and and then during that repair process, she was in uh, Puerto Real in Puerto Rico, uh, which is a very it's very warm, very high mineral water, mm-hmm. uh, and the growth was just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So then when we pulled out of there, we had about a quarter of an inch of growth on the bottom of the hull, which took us another month to clean off. And uh, we pretty much were fighting an uphill battle from then on. And it was really only when we left the yard in December, just past, uh, that we were, we had uh, a reasonable grasp on the rigging and a clean backside. And then and since then, we've been very happy with oh how far goodness, she goes. Yeah. We used to budget our windward, windward journeys on about three and a half, four knots. And now, genuinely, yeah. Genuinely. <laughs> and now we're... Uh, we're creeping up around five six for a for a conservative budget like we we've seen seven eight knots quite comfortably so we're we're very on a beam on a, on a beam yeah yeah but we're yeah i'm, I'm happy I, I don't need to go any faster yeah. to be honest with you and and her motion through the water is very comfortable and she has a diverse uh, a diverse enough sail plan to go out uh pretty much any time we like we could probably do with a um a asymmetrical spinnaker or something like that uh for a of being rich in really calm conditions, but that's you know that's a luxury we we can do without for a very long time. And uh, and do you think uh, is, is the Teana Forty Two she a, a reasonable size for the two of you? Do you feel I mean do you ever feel like oh man like this is a lot of boat? I think we never started being smaller. So yeah. and in hindsight, everyone uh, well, yeah for us and also other people have mentioned. Also, oh, you know you had a smaller boat than before, and we both like no, no, we we started at forty two, and it seems that everyone seems to start smaller and work their way up, and we obviously just yeah. started at the big end of the scale. Well, um, to go back to uh, an earlier question, when uh, with regards to the racing, we did we also did a uh, a charter between oh, us yeah. uh, in the Witch Sundays in Australia as kind of a test of objectives for the two of us, um, and that was on a Beneteau thirty eight for two weeks. And we had two we had two friends with us, of family and friends, uh, for the first week, and then it was just the two of us for the remainder. Um, and yeah, the, even the thirty-eight foot was not. Yeah. I didn't at any stage that, feel that was too big. Yeah, I think after that two weeks, both Adam and I had a conversation. We were like, I don't think that we could go much smaller than a thirty-eight, but at the same time, I don't think I'd want to go much much bigger. Um, and I think we kind of capped it off to either be a 36 foot or to be a 40 to 41 kind of foot. 
And uh, obviously, his turn off is a forty-two. So we're like, oh, it's fine. We'll stretch. We'll stretch it a little bit. Go, go and see this one. But um, yeah. Tiana's a funny one too. Like uh, we, I said earlier, we looked at a Whitby forty-two, and mm-hmm. I very, very much like that design. I think a catch is a just a beautiful sailboat. Um, and that would be probably my second choice if I could have my time again. Uh, and we did look at a couple of Whitby 42s, and the difference walking onto oh, a Whitby 42 crazy. versus uh, the Tayana 42, yeah. it's just incredible. Like they are the same length and a similar beam, but the, it's just you wouldn't, you would swear, yeah. you would swear that the the Tayana is 10 feet shorter. Yeah. Uh, it's it's incredible. So the, the Tayana is a big, heavy boat, but she feels and she behaves like a boat much smaller, mm. uh, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah. Uh, I think that maybe that's to do with the center cockpit because there isn't as much boat forward of the wheel. So when you're sort of looking forward and charging off into the waves, you look forward and, and you're not that far from the front. Whereas if you're right up the back, uh, feel there's a whole lot more boat in front of you. Yeah, that's true. But I tell you what, she does feel like a hell of a lot of boat when you're hanging onto an anchor chain when, it, when the wind's gotten, <laughs> gotten hold of the bow. Yeah. <laughs> and you have no windlass. <laughs> feel every pound of foot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I've, I've noticed is kind of a reoccurring theme among, among people I've spoken with uh, is that, you know, the boat is never really fully ready to leave. Um, and a lot of people, you know, p- particularly anyone on a budget, uh, kind of always in the process of improving and ma- maintaining the boat. Uh, and it seems like, at least from your YouTube channel, you guys have done a ton of work on the boat. Um, but you've also managed to do, to do a lot of sailing as well, which is, which is awesome. Um, so I'm just kind of interested in, in how you kind of view that kind of overlap between being prepared versus actually leaving the dock? Uh, well, I think um, the fact that we bought our boat in America and when we went there, um, we day we checked into America, which was on the 1st of January 2018, we had three months on our Esther visa and we had to buy a boat, we had to do up the boat and we had to leave America within three months. And that was, that was it. There was no other option unless we left our boat there and went back or something, which would just... At the time, we were like, "No, that's not an option." It would have destroyed completely. That would have set us back by almost 12 months in hindsight. Um, yeah. By the time you, we would have left, uh, left America, got got you know been away long enough to have a new Esther visa, come back, done the work, pay, and and paid the yard fees for storage in the interim. Add on the cost of the flight, we would have missed hurricane season, which means we had to wait that out. Um, locally, which means another yeah. Esther visa cycle and yeah. another set of flights and another 12 months. <laughs> so so it's amazing what option. you can achieve with a choice. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, if you, um, but I mean, we, we did the, we did the basics. Well, also being new at boat owners as well, we thought that we bought a boat which had everything all kind of set on it. And we certainly thought that we had a boat that was ready to sail within the three months that we, um, that we had in that time in America. And so we, when we set off sailing, we didn't quite realize that that many things would fall apart <laughs> on us. Yeah. And uh, and we certainly weren't thinking about having a boat renovation um, holiday. <laughs> we certainly weren't thinking about that. We literally just wanted to buy a boat and just set off and sail into the sunset. And I feel like um, we were very naive boat owners at that time. Uh, we were very new and naive boat owners because probably everyone knows being a boat owner who might be listening. Um, they will know that it's never ever that easy and there is always work to do on your boat um, but we didn't quite realize the extent of work that we had to do on the boat um, but I like the fact that we've managed to actually get a little bit of sailing in there and also doing up the boat as well I mean 
the fact that we never really thought we would, that we would be doing this much work on the boat is kind of, you know, I, I, may, I maybe thought that we'd be doing more sailing than what we have done. But right now we are ready to go, well, you know, give or take a few other projects we might need to do. We're pretty much almost ready to sail into the sunset. <laughs> but at least, we, you know, we've got a little bit of sailing under our belt during that time. And I think for a lot of people who maybe had have stayed in one place and who had have just um, sat in a yard doing their boat work, um, yeah, they, they might have been able to work at the same time and they might have been able to tick off every single project but they, there's always another project. Yeah, there's always another project. You will never, ever be ready. And once you get into the water, the project which you might have spent, you know, yeah. like a month doing might just fail. It might leak. It might, you know, something might go wrong in it. And you, there is always going to be something else to do yeah. until, you know, and you're even never if you finally, even if, even if the miracle happens and you finally get to the point where you're, you say to yourself, I'm ready, I've done everything. The moment, the moment you leave uh, and you, you're beyond um, beyond safe harbour or you're, it's the middle of the night and you're 30 miles offshore, something will happen and you yeah. will be ripping, ripping up the floorboards, <laughs> you'll be looking for a leak, you'll be cursing at the wiring or yeah. wondering why your autopilot's failed or something. It, there's always yeah. something. You just have to accept that and just, uh, and just go and do your best and yeah. trust trust yourself that you will uh rise to the challenge and yeah. that's part of the that's part of the journey it sounds cliche but that's yeah that is, you're right, like, yeah. You really just oh, and and it's not even the boat that gets better like you're kind of in a, a perpetual state of plugging up holes in the barrel um you know you plug <laughs> up one and another another leak will sprout and and what's What's really improving is the crew and the skipper and, and, the, yeah, and the maintenance. So exactly. It's not that the boat's getting better, although it is. Like I'm, I'm overstating yeah. it. The boat is getting better every day, but what's really getting better is Kiara and I at learning how to identify problems and hearing a rattle or a tick or a funny vibration or a. And getting or on a, top of it there and, straight yeah, away. And knowing how to prevent it, fix yeah. it, identify it or stop it and that's outright. maybe something that you can't do in a yard you know you you don't know the the ticks and the rattles of the boat until you get out there sailing and yeah. and wait for things to break you know and then and that's when you kind of learn to fix your own that's maybe when you become uh better at uh, certainly not sailing but better at the boat maintenance part of, of cruising. cruising lifestyle so yeah yeah it's all, it's all part hustle yeah so self-improvement through uh through love of a boat right exactly yeah. yes <laughs> yes stand, stand by for our, our book <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, and I guess kind of on, in that vein, uh, you know, had before you guys had, had started out in this, were you, you know, did you have experience working with tools? Had you under, you know, had you done major projects or was this all kind of new? Oh my goodness. Oh, uh, actually. You go first. No. Well, okay. Well, first of all, no, definitely not. Um, I'm a crafty, but I'm, and I like DIY, but I like, I like it to a certain extent. You know, I've, uh, I've done a few one or two crafts in my time, you know, like, oh, hey, let's refurbish this bedside table. Um, but certainly never to the extent that we that we did here. Um, but Adam, at least, has a tiny bit more experience than I do, don't you? A tiny bit. Yeah, a little bit more. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, I, had a, I had one of those, like, bizarre, bizarre rises. Not rises, but, like, I just I was one of those people that's just had a, um, a million jobs throughout uh, university. I, I, I have uh, spent a lot of time at university and um, <laughs> what, <laughs> uh, so I, I started 
out wanting to be a pilot. And this is a, this is a long story short, and I'm doing my best to keep it short. And there is a point, I promise. Um, <laughs> I started out wanting to be a pilot, and then while and so I learned a lot of applicable and transferable skills to sailing uh, in that pursuit. And I uh, got most of the way to a private pilot's license, and then I got the travel bug, and I spent all of that money for the remainder of the pilot's license on traveling. Um, and then while I was doing that degree, I made uh, I, I uh, kept myself uh, fed and clothed and, and kept money in my pocket uh, as as a member of the Army Reserves. And I learned a lot of skills there that have become applicable just generally. Um, yeah, well, yeah, no, field craft has not really come into it too much, but that might come up if we are um, marooned or something. Um, <laughs> but just generally like uh, service. Servicing, servicing engines, stripping and assembling things in a hurry. Uh, you know, not not that I was ever in a position of command. I was a, an underling, well and truly. But I was exposed to um, some very uh, people that I I think are very good leaders, and I like to think they've had a positive effect on me. So I got the skills there. Um, and then I, as I said, I spent all the money for my pilot's license and got to the end of my degree and went, what do I do now? And so I sort of pivoted. Um, pivoted the aviation degree I had into an aerospace engineering degree, uh, which which was there were jobs for. Um, and I put myself through that degree by working on uh, working for a company that used to um, tools. yeah, they rented like plant machinery for construction sites and things. So I, I would spend my weekends in a workshop stripping down two stroke motors and cleaning out you know, cleaning carburetors and, and driving like swing booms and, and dredging tools and all kinds of weird stuff. Cool, um, cool. That sounds like so fun. I, kind of, yeah, yeah. I, got, I spent some time on the tools there and then you, you throw an engineering degree on top and, and, um, and yeah, I, I, it's cool. I get to use – honestly, I, I worked as an engineer for like four years before we left and I have used more skills that I yeah. – more tertiary skills – in this uh, pursuit than I ever did at my at my cubicle. <laughs> yeah, very true. That's and that's one of the things I love about sailing is just like you kind of have to know a little bit a lot about a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah, true. totally right. It's like you need to be an electrician, you need to be a mechanic, you need to be your chef as well as you know your your interior decorator. <laughs> like there's so many things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's that's awesome and. Uh, it sounds. I mean, it sounds like you. Uh, your experience was was great, and you know, you know a lot about that that kind of mechanical side of things, which is, which yeah, is cool. Yeah, I actually didn't realize how much um, ads kind of can can uh, can help in a situation until until it came to it, and then I was like, oh, he knows all about you know um, the layers of of freaking fiberglass or whatever else. Hardly. Adam would be like, Hardly. oh yeah, I did this, or oh I did this, and. Well, no, you, you, it's a slippery slope because you don't want to be – You're tooting my horn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you don't want to be that – I find the best way to learn is to be uh, – is to not, not tell anyone that you know anything and just listen. Um, uh, you don't want to be that person. And there, and in my opinion, there's far too much of it in the sailing world. Now there's your problem, right? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be that person who knows everything. Yeah and has a solution for everything and their word is gospel and thou shall not be contested yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you know so I found it I almost I, I've, I've said it now but I very rarely uh, upon first meeting or in in a yard or, or uh, even in the videos um, yeah I try not to preach and I try not to uh, say anything is gospel because I'm always open to being corrected uh, um, and I usually yeah, learn so more true. if I just yeah. shut up and let it happen than if I 
you know, throw my hat in the ring and try to get into the intellectual pissing contest that tends yeah. to befall um, sailors when they're presented with a problem. Yeah. Ads is also <laughs> the kind of personality too where he needs to know why. You know, <laughs> why is the light not working? What is it about that particular filament? Or the, Okay, that's just a really bad example. But, you know, why is it about that particular problem? And he'll delve into the the whole of the diesel engine trying to find why this one particular relay might not work or something like that. And it's just like he needs to know everything about the reason why this thing won't work. So, he, uh, yeah. That's one thing I, def I would definitely it – would, it doesn't keep me up at night, but it, it, it's probably my one bug – uh, that I, I feel I don't have um, a large enough grasp on is definitely the the marine diesel engine. I'd be I'd, I'd probably be a lot more comfortable venturing off into the sunset if I uh, had a better grasp on that. And it's on my list of things to to tackle in the near future. Yeah, no, I, I totally identify with that. We actually our boat is uh is got a, an outboard gas gasoline outboard. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah. but it's, yeah, they're, they're all kind of motors or black boxes to me. So I, I totally hear you on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's disconcerting, isn't it? You it take is. Off and you're like, That's my redundancy. And it's like, yeah, but I have no idea how yeah. to beyond like some basic troubleshooting stuff and the obvious, you know, preventative maintenance. Yeah. Um, and you know, I know I've gotten to the point now where I know I can feel it in my feet. Uh, with we, you know, if the vibrations are off or there's a noise, or because the tick. engine's underneath our feet, not just because he's like, I can Sorry, feel yeah, it in no, my phone. Yeah. That's good though. That's a good, <laughs> good metaphor. <laughs> I'm getting to the point now where I can hear when something's off, but it's frustrating because you don't quite know <laughs> what what's wrong. You know something's wrong. It's like a baby that's crying. You're like, I know you're upset. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> But we are always so on edge when we are when uh, something doesn't sound right or doesn't feel right underneath our feet because we're like that's coming from the engine room and because our propeller has fallen off twice now, <laughs> both we we are so so Paranoid. conscious. We'll touch the floor and be like, is it hot? Is it alright? What was that noise change? What's that? We are absolutely paranoid. To the, to this day, our, our pre-startup check consists of open the hatch and check if the prop, prop shaft is still attached to the engine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, so that's that's uh, yeah, check it off the box. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Most people check, you know, yeah. the seacock's open and what the Fuel, oil is. Oil, water. <laughs> like, do we have a prop shaft? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so. So, so you guys have done, I guess, kind of the, the thorny path, quote, thorny path down to the, the Caribbean. Uh, but it seems like you've done kind of some longer hops. Um, so what is your what was your first big passage like? And uh, and how was how has the trip been kind of in, in general? Oh, my goodness. OK, so our first passage, uh, we did a few like one or two day hops. Uh, we bought a boat to uh, to get down to uh, to Key West and uh, and so that we could eventually cross to actually get into the proper Caribbean. And um, and after that, there was just like um, maybe about five day kind of day hops. And after that, we just did a uh, a trip all the way from Marathon in Florida all the way over to Turks and Caicos. We said to my family, "Yep, yeah, should probably take <laughs> us about um, about five days. You know, we should be alright." Ten days later, we finally limped into <laughs> Turks and Caicos. And both of us were kind of stressing, thinking, oh, my God, what, like... Coast Guard's going to be looking for yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. Our family have been, you know, we've technically been missing for five days now. Turns out that none no of them... Even, <laughs> no one even remembered the phone call. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh, oh, good. You've arrived. How lovely. That's How good. is it there? Pretty much our first, like, 
sail, big sail, was 10 full days. Yeah, 10 um, days straight. Yeah. And uh, we did end up kind of a, a bit of a drift in the back of the Bahamas for about five days. Um, is it behind the Exumas that we were? Uh, I think it's Andros, between Andros Island and Cuba. Okay, we between were, Andros uh, Island okay. and Cuba. We if you look at a map, it's uh, sorry, if you look at one of these um, wind charts, there is never, ever, it's ever any wind, spot, yeah. ever. In this particular spot, and uh, and being absolute newbies and um and green greenies, we uh, we just didn't realise at all. So we just set off and we're like, yeah, let's go here. And uh, so we kind of like were adrift for about three or three days or so. Um, so that was actually almost one of the highlights of my trip because yeah, it was, it was yeah. so flat and there was 30 feet of water and you could just see right down to the stones at the bottom of the ocean. Um, and that was very beautiful. Um. But then it was also um, it was also dead calm, so there was not really much going on there. But then after that was where we first started properly sailing, and that's kind of where we were like, all right, now we get to see what our boat can do. And that's where we realized that, you know, she can do three and a half knots upwind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it was a very, very slow progress to get yeah. to our first destination, Turks and Caicos. Um, but, yeah, after that, I think we did another um, – then our second sail after that – um, was another week down to, or five five days, or maybe a week down to Puerto Rico. Yeah, five days, I think. Yeah, five days down to Puerto Rico, and um, and that was yeah our second sail. So our first, like pretty much our first sail was uh, well, ten days. Yeah, first sail was ten days. Second sail was five days, um, give or take like the the um, three to five sailing days that we'd had prior to this. In America, and um, and yeah, that was uh, hey, that's how we learned how to sail, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and from there, the islands are significantly closer together. So there was there were only so many days of sailing that we kind of had to do then. Um, well, once you hit Puerto Rico, as we uh, as we crossed into as we, I mean, we never intended to go to Puerto Rico, to be honest. Um, we were where were we headed? Actually headed, I can't remember. I can't remember either. Maybe we were. I, I blanked it out because <laughs> of the trauma. Uh, it was on the way across to Puerto Rico that, from Dominican Republic to Puerto Rico that we discovered um, that the prop shaft had fallen off. So we kind of had to pull in in the middle of the night with no engine into oh, – what's the bay called there? Mayaguez. Mayaguez. Mayaguez Harbour. Um and drop an anchor under sail, which was a first at night, which was fun. Um, but we got it done. Uh, and then, yeah, then we ended up staying there for, uh, oh, geez, a month. Well, actually, we went, went back to Australia for a, a wedding that we had to be at. Um, and we left the boat in a harbour there, in a marina there. And uh, and when we came back, we did a bunch of repairs and then we moved on. But in Puerto Rico on the, um, I'm not sure how it is on the north coast, but on the south coast, the prevailing advice is that you don't, really try to sail in the middle of the day because the the sea breeze is just it's quite it's nuts it's like 30 knots every day between 10 o'clock and three or four o'clock in the afternoon so everyone that you talk to sort of says oh just leave really early and just motor sail your way uh east and then finish your day by 10 a.m and then go again in the afternoon or just wait for the next morning so we spent the rest of the time really just motor sailing our way down the coast in daily hops uh, until we reached um, uh, until we crossed over to the USVIs um, which was a little bit more a little bit more sailing friendly um, and not quite as ferocious during the middle of the day yeah and I think um, the next kind of like significant hop we did was um, was we were in uh, Sabre and during this stage as well it had been a hurricane season for about 
three months or so. So we knew or two months this maybe. Is September, yeah. Yeah, I think it was about September, and hurricane season starts in May. No, it starts June, in yeah, June. Yeah, May, so June. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we knew that we were well and truly, you know, really taking the piss a little bit in terms of, you know, that we should have been heading south and out of the hurricane belt. So at that stage, um, a hurricane was kind of, uh, you know, a smaller hurricane was heading our way and that's when we had to do another one of these big hops and i think it was uh four or five days down from saber down to grenada finally where we were like okay we can finally chill out but prior to uh prior to actually heading to grenada we felt like we were just racing most of the time just racing racing first of all to get out of america because of our visa secondly to get um to find somewhere to put our boats so that we could fly back to australia then to try and find somewhere, you know, sorry, then to try and uh, get south for hurricane season. And it was constantly, we had to do the miles and we just had to do them within a short space of time, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Which I guess links back to the whole um, maintenance on the fly thing where, yeah. you, you, you know, when you're on that kind of schedule, you really learn what you need and what you don't need to get, keep moving um, pretty quickly. Like there's essential systems and then there's luxury. And if, it, if the boat can run, with yep. you know with what it needs then you there's nothing stopping you from going and you can always work on the move yeah yeah we were yeah. somewhat we were somewhat fortunate as well that we uh we were traveling with a boat at um at uh, during maybe about four months of our boat ownership we were traveling in with a boat who had a lot um a lot more basic um boat oh, what am i trying to say what are you trying to say um sorry they, they didn't they didn't have as many things on their boat as we did oh they had a yeah so for instance yeah they didn't have a water maker and they didn't have a um Neither did we at that point yeah that's true our water maker did break but like they, they certainly didn't have as many fancy things let's say um that we did so we were very used to going basics and we were very used to just kind of like hopping it with if something broke we're like that's fine we just need to go we just need to head south and we just kept on moving without without any of our fancy stuff and, uh, yeah, they had a really positive effect on us. Actually, they were. Um, we met them in Puerto Rico, and they were in a Sidelman 37, which is, it's a, it's a speedy little boat, but it's got a very small freeboard, and it's, it's really, it's not a, it's really not a blue water boat. Um, it's a good little boat, but it, it's not something you'd want to be caught out, caught with your pants down in. Um, but it had, you know, it had a small fuel tank, and it had small water tanks, and and they were, you know. They were just making it work, and so and, yeah. and and she was very thrifty, and he was a diesel mechanic. So we both learned a lot from uh, each of them, respectively. Um, and uh, yeah, they just had a really good in, uh, influence on us. Mm. Cool. Um, cool. And and were a good example, really. So we kind of learned that you don't, despite having all of these great things, they don't really stop you from moving around. Like yeah. we, it was only just day before yesterday i think that i finally got a water maker working yeah. um and we've been we've been catching rain for two months no it wasn't that more than that yeah. yeah we haven't filled up our tanks since um christmas yeah christmas we've been catching rain to to keep the water to keep the tanks full and that's been fine and we've not really been scrounging for water so yeah you can get by cool yeah making uh making it work um yeah so what do you what do you think your the biggest challenge has been um, through the course of your your travels? Ooh, um, biggest challenge. I feel like oh. I think about these these answers like this. Sorry, I think about questions and the answers to these questions all the time. And then when I actually 
come down to thinking of the very specific one when someone asked me I'd, I'd just go with them as a blank mind I can't I think know, of what right? it is yeah. at the time I'm like oh this is definitely the hardest thing we've ever had to do and then when I think back to it I'm like oh that's not so bad so what what else <laughs> yeah I'm gonna yeah. say perseverance I'm gonna fire off the hip here and say perseverance yeah um learning to not like the, the when you throw yourself up against a problem all day and you can't solve it um the frustration is unavoidable and the the anger and the the tantrums and the curse words that's yeah. all part of the process but learning to just instead of just giving up and throwing your hands in the air and calling for the help um of which there is none really uh learning to just go upstairs ha take a breath come down and just crack on uh that's uh, and then to do it consistently and do or shorten the tantrum cycle yeah. to be more productive. Yes. Uh, that's probably the biggest yeah. challenge that I've had to learn or, or yeah. that I've, I feel that I have overcome yeah. in the last 12 months is to just keep, like, don't let things beat you. Just keep, keep pushing, yeah. keep charging, keep trying yeah. until it, something, something gives. And that's probably also representative as well, like not even about sailing as well, but also, you know, our YouTube channel and also, um, yeah, uh, just with every every aspect of this, this of life pursuits, at the moment yeah. so far, yeah. Just keep trying. Like there's yeah, there's times when you're just like, why am I out here? What what am I doing? Yeah, I could be at home on a couch with the air conditioner on, <laughs> drinking clean water and, and just cool up a pizza delivery. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a clean shower, hot shower, uh, and then yeah, and, and then there's other days when you pull up to a proceeding in beach and a turtle pops its head up and, and uh, you know you see fish jumping and yeah and you're, yeah then there's other days and you're like well that's why we're doing it but yeah um unfortunately you have a tendency to uh you don't really uh, you don't tend to focus on the good unfortunately you appreciate the you good in less. passing yeah but it's, it's only when the thing when your chips are down that yeah. you really are like what am i doing here yeah um and and it's yeah pers persevering through those times I think you're right just, yeah and and yeah. pressing on i think i was um i think during our first like three months or so um i think that's where we were challenged the most and i think that's where we really had to learn about that perseverance and that's kind of also um where we had to also adapt to boat life as well um and that's just you know having to do everything um very like pretty much from basics so you know even just um just oh it's just silly things like uh you know washing your clothes yeah exactly yeah like having to wash your clothes and and having to wash the dishes instead of putting them in a dishwasher and it's just those silly little things you're having to um run out of uh, when you run out of gas and you just have to go and change it out of the back and it's just those little things where you just don't really think about the life of cruising um you don't really think about those kind of things and so that was certainly a challenge as well as um, the perseverance when problems broke. I think all, all of that during the first three months for us, um, or for me, sorry, was probably a bigger, one of my biggest challenges, I think. I mean, these are all, I mean, this is, this is, this is great stuff. This is why we go sailing, right? That's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, you, you don't recognize yourself in the first 12 months. Like, you look back and you're like, uh, even my friends now, they, you know, one of them the other day saw an episode I, and uh, we had a, something broke or something happened and he sent me a message he's like i do not remember you being this calm but <laughs> <laughs> there 
bit of creative editing going on. And I said, I said, I have grown. I have changed. <laughs> you man. So, and so I, I wanted to ask you guys about your YouTube channel as well. I've, I've fairly recently come across it and I've been, been enjoying uh, checking it out. Um, so what, what, um, what made you uh, decide to, to get into making videos? Um, we always, like we, we always, uh, we kind of got into the habit of documenting and filming things. Uh, ever since we bought our first GoPro, there was a, oh, yeah. we went on a trip to Tasmania, just a road trip. And I bought a GoPro, um, just for fun. And I, I just made a video about it and I had a, I had a good time making the video. I quite enjoyed it. And, um, and it really, uh, in hindsight motivated at least me to, um, to do more on the trip. Uh, and I never got to show anyone the video, unfortunately, because I used like a, I used an Avicii song in the background and, <laughs> and Facebook, and I didn't understand about copywriting right, and things right. at the time. And Facebook straight away was like, pow, pow, take that down. Yeah. And I never really, I never bothered to re-edit it. And then we, yeah. we made a little video about our charter um, trip yeah. in the Witch Sundays. Did and, not include um, Avicii this time, no, and that's yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't oh, get the audio balancing right though, because yeah. I just blew out everyone's speakers when I showed them. Um, but essentially, we just kind of got into the yeah. habit of documenting everything and, and I think as well, everything. we tried to start doing it. Like obviously, at this stage, you know, we, we'd kind of seen um, we'd seen Le Vagabond, we'd seen um, Dallas, and we'd seen all these other people having these awesome channels, and so we we're like, oh, maybe we should do that too. You know, just just kind of. Flying well, yeah, out there you kind throw of thought. Your hat in the ring, yeah, don't you? but also I have such a bad memory as well that yeah. it was also my way of of being like, okay, I'm, I I want to remember this stuff in like in ten years. I really want to remember what we did and how we did it and why we did it and that amazing water that we saw and that awesome fish that we caught and you know all these things that I want to remember them. But I uh, my memory is really really bad, and so I just didn't really think I'd be able to um, like it was just another kind of good way to capture the memories yeah and then we um, filmed everything and uh, and we didn't do anything with it for six months yeah six months it was only like we bought that bought the boat in uh, January February January February yeah and uh, as I said earlier we went, had to go back to Australia for a wedding in July and uh, it was only it was only really then that we were like, geez, we've got six months worth of footage. We should we should do something with this yeah. or, or get rid of it. Um, and then when we were back in Australia with family, we just sat down for like two weeks or a week or something yeah. and put together family. some we're, videos. When we were meant to be on everyone. holidays, we were like, yeah. sorry, guys, we're working. <laughs> we're editing. Just put some videos together and then we showed yeah. our family and friends and stuff and they were like, wow, these are fun. These are good. And we got a buzz out of it. So then we put them up online and, yeah. and made the – made the channel as it was and um just... pretty much spammed youtube with like 10 videos at once because as we mentioned we had like six months worth of yeah. worth of stuff youtube was like oh okay right Let, let's just show this to a few people then and then uh yeah i think people started to enjoy it after that and then yeah it just it just kind of took off and then we were like well we, we kind of gotta keep going now like yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cool, People cool. Be wondering where we are, otherwise. <laughs> no, I know. Um, my wife and I, we um, we took our boat down the um, the ICW. Uh, I guess almost three years ago now. But uh, we we kept the little oh, blog, cool. and and it's definitely great to be able to look back at that every now and then. I'll still kind of look back at the blog, and and it's and it does yeah, it really does kind of bring back the feeling of it. So it's it's cool. I think that's a good cool yeah. motivation. Um, and do you remember things after you read your blog? Were you like, oh, I forgot that that happened? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah. Um, yeah, and so I, I wanted to ask you. I know, like when I started kind of fiddling around with with podcasting, I was I was torn between 
trying to tweak every little thing and make it as, as good as I, you know, make everything perfect. Uh, and then actually yeah. finishing and, and putting it out there. Uh, so do you guys ever feel <laughs> that tension between like perfectionism and, and actually publishing stuff? Oh my God. Definitely. I feel, I feel like perfectionism <laughs> is my middle name. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I, I think there was actually one stage where Adam took me off editing duties because he was like, Chiara, you take so long that you're actually making us like you're making this whole process so much slower than it has like to be. We were missing, we were missing upload deadline. Yeah. Like we were falling behind. And I was like, we just, you know, there's like, a line. Oh, but there's one frame too long, so I need to just quickly adjust this. And the, uh, I, I, you might know this as well with having done with doing podcasts, but the audio is always, oh, always needs yeah. to be adjusted for us as well. And um, and it's never ever right. The balancing is so hard. Yeah, we might need to uh, pick your brain afterwards on how yeah. to do that. Well, we might need to do it afterwards. But yeah, we're, to answer your question, we're definitely we're in a constant state of wanting to be, uh, well, wanting to do the best that we can with what we have and what footage we took yeah. on the day uh, with the whatever device we had and uh, and and getting something out there. Yeah. Um, but that's but the... we try not to release rubbish just for the sake of releasing rubbish yeah. um we sometimes previously we would release episodes that were perhaps a bit shorter um to satisfy the schedule um but we've we've since well for the last little while we've opted to just just miss it's better for us to just miss a miss a week or miss a half week um and be happy with the length and the content that we put up in lieu of meeting that deadline and putting up some, you know, little eight minute yeah. tidbit that we're just, you know, okay with. Yeah. Um, yeah. We try to, we try to make a story out of everything we, we have and try to be as honest as we can. And, and it just takes time to sort through all of the garbage <laughs> that you, you know, so, you know, when you yeah. go on a holiday, you take a picture of a tree 80,000 times. You're like, <laughs> why, did I, why did I find that so interesting at the time? You know? And it's like five years later, you yeah. look through and you're like, oh, maybe I should that? delete these, yeah. It takes a while to sort through all that yeah. and, and put together a story that makes sense and it is fun to watch. Yeah. And we're very much, it's very much still a work in progress. But we got some new toys uh, in the last little while and we, we're very excited to... Um, Use them? Yeah, well, it's a challenge Yeah, to, to push the boundaries a little bit, to bump up the production a bit uh, in the next sort of little while. Um, so that, that should be fun in the next year. Cool, cool. Yeah, and I've I've very much enjoyed them, and I think you guys are doing a doing a great job. So, um, thanks. The hard, thanks, man. Hard work Thank shows, yeah. Um, so, and and I want to be respectful of your time. I, I do really appreciate you guys taking taking the time. I know it's not easy to schedule these things, so it's it's been. I really appreciate it. It's great talking to you. Um, Thank yeah, you. Nice stress, Thank man. you for your Thank time. You yeah, and I thought maybe we could close. Um, maybe you could just talk about, you know, aside from sailing itself, what is it that draws you to to living on the water? You want me to answer that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> She's looking at me, going, "That's for you, mate." <laughs> um, I think it's, oh, it's, it's freedom. That's the first thing that comes yeah, to my head. Pretty it's much. freedom. Um, freedom. The of, reason why we wanted to do this in the beginning was freedom, and the reason why we're still out here is freedom. I guess. Yeah, freedom of choice to go where you want to go when you want to go. Um, freedom to grow in any way you want to do as little or as much as you want. Um, to decide that tomorrow we we want to go to the next island or yeah. that we want to go on a um, you know let's have a night camping on a desert island that kind of thing you know it's uh, I'd say that's yeah that's certainly despite any 
ups and downs that we might have had, I think that is always really nice to know that we are yeah, the freedom to do whatever we want. It's not just the it's not just the uh, the cliche sense of freedom. It's the bad side of freedom too, and I like that as much. Like you know, this saying "freedom and free" the the cliche. And yeah, it's, that's it's, true. It's true. You gotta you gotta earn it, but like. Um, it's kind of a rush. It's it's kind of a rush to, in some small way, stand apart from the rest of the world and join a different community of cruisers. Uh, yeah, yeah. And um and and to say like, look, I'm prepared to come out here and take it in the teeth and and be on my own. Um, and to to step up to whatever challenges come our way. Uh, it's a rush. That's that's living. That's life. That's you know yeah. that's real life. Like you know when I get to my deathbed, I'll look back and say you know, you know like we we went out there and we gave it a red hot go and we we lived. Like, yeah. yeah. Even so. if we sink tomorrow and uh, we have to go <laughs> home, we'll say you know we'll we'll be able to forever say that we came yeah. out here and we we dared to yep. dared to st- stand apart. Yeah, I think so. Cool. That's uh, that's there. That's that's great stuff, man. That's that's inspiring. And I know I've, I've felt that same way. That kind of that that freedom, is is kind of the is is the lure. But then the other side of that is that res- that kind of complete responsibility. But that's, you know, even though there's a downside to that, sometimes it is. It's kind of an uh, an intoxicating uh, mix. Exactly. Yeah. There's no uh, there's no policeman coming around looking after my safety or health insurance or 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 you know. I, I can't just jump on the phone and say, please help, because no one's listening. No one's – the cavalry yeah. is not, not coming over the next hill. We're on our own out here and uh, and really all – And that's good because you can good. take it however you want. Yeah. You know, you're on your own. You're on your own out <laughs> What do you want to do if you had everything or like if... – yeah. And it's good because, I mean, you're, we – I said we're on our own out here, and I, I do mean Kiara and I, but I also mean – I mean, I'm in an anchorage in St. Martin, and if I, if I was sinking now uh, and I jump on the radio – uh, it wouldn't be the Coast Guard or the police that would come and answer the radio. It would be some person three or four boats down uh, who happened to have his radio on, and I guarantee somebody would come in the dinghy with a pump yeah. saying, right, what are we going to do? What do you need? Yeah, definitely. Like, we're, we're alone out here. We, the cruising community, are alone out here, and it's a pretty wonderful bunch of people to be a part of. Yeah. And uh, and we're, we're small fish in... in uh, in this community as far as miles and experience, but it's really cool to be uh, among such uh, free-spirited and talented and smart, cool, (laughs) cool, interesting, brave people. Um, And yeah, yeah, that just, that's all part of the package. Yep. Cool. Well, that's, I think that's a great place to end it guys. This was, uh, this was good stuff. Thanks. uh, Thanks so much. have it folks Kiara and Adam on the Millennial Falcon one thing I can't believe I forgot to talk to them about is that our sailboat Firefly is also named after a spaceship 
Uh, and I know there's a few others out there. I think Ben and Teresa Carey's boat is named after a spaceship as well, uh, if you're familiar with them. Uh, so, so clearly all the cool kids are space nerds. Uh, and speaking of living in the future, it is pretty amazing that I can sit at my desk here in Virginia, uh, speak with an Aussie and a transplanted Brit on their boat in St. Martin, and have it issued forth through the internet to you, the listener. Uh, and as always, I am endlessly surprised and tickled to have you listening in. Uh, you have my sincere thanks. I hope you've found this episode as interesting and as entertaining as I did. Uh, and if that is indeed the case, uh, do me a solid and leave me a rating and a review on iTunes. Uh, and also check out Sailing Millennial Falcon and let them know I sent you. Uh, and uh, thanks to those guys for, uh, for coming on the podcast. You can find them again at Sailing Millennial Falcon on YouTube. And their website is SailingMillennialFalcon.com. So I took a number of takeaways from my chat with Adam and Kiara. And I think one of the obvious ones is a generational observation. And that is a lot of times I hear the term millennial pandered about as a pejorative, but as much as I like avocado toast, I've always bristled at being painted with a broad brush myself. Uh, and Adam and Kiara are clearly hardworking, sharp, successful people who bear no resemblance to the uh, shiftless, whiny, bad internet meme version of our generation. Uh, so good on them for reclaiming the noun. I also thought that their insights about the freedom of sailing and the self-reliance that freedom demands mirrored many of my own feelings. And I, I know I've spoken about this before, but whether you're sailing a Tiana 42 across the Caribbean, a Pearson Ariel across the Chesapeake Bay, or a sunfish across your local lake, when you're sailing, this moment and the next are fully in your hands, and the consequences are fully yours as well. And it's that elemental connection to our more, our previous more wild selves that is one of the things that makes spending time underway aboard a sailboat so captivating for me. Until next time. That's it for this episode of The Bonnie Boat. Thanks for listening. I know time is my most scarce resource these days, so I appreciate you uh, choosing to spend your time listening here. One of the reasons I decided to throw my hat into the podcast ring is to get in touch with other like-minded sailing maniacs. To that end, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email me at thebonnieboat at gmail.com. You can find us online at thebonnieboat.wordpress.com. And remember, to be a sailor, you don't need a YouTube channel with 100,000 video subscribers. You don't need an Instagram account with pictures of beautiful people in their bathing suits. You certainly don't need a podcast. You don't even need a boat. You just need to go sailing. Until next time, this is Firefly standing by on Channel 16.